Amen. You know, just before I begin, I, I do believe the Lord has given me a word to bring for this morning. And this word, I suppose, it's been there or thereabouts for about the last month or so. But as Garrett said last week, unless you come expecting, come expecting God to move and God to speak with speak to you, and, and unless you mix that with faith, then friend, you're gonna you're gonna leave the same way you come in. Are you wanting God to speak to you? I know I am. I need God to speak to me. Are you wanting to change? Are you are you wanting to leave this place? Changed. Friends, who needs the Lord to speak to? I do. Well, there's three or four of us anyway. That's good. That's a start. Amen. You know, I think I've quoted this statement before to you all, but I think it's worth repeating again. And it was Brother Clendenin. He would have frequently quoted this statement. And he said this. Life begets life. Life begets life. And, and that's the title of my message this morning. Life begets life. And you know that word beget means to generate something. Usually children are life. To bring into existence by the process of reproduction. Or to cause or to bring about something to enter one's possession. Or you could just simply put it this way. Life reproduces life. Life produces life. And remember friends, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking here in a, in a spiritual context this morning. Life begets life. You know, I'm going to let you in a wee secret here. Don't be telling anybody. But you see if you're dead, to save your dead, you can produce nothing. You can produce nothing. To save your dead, you'll affect no one around you. But to save your alive, to save your alive, save your alive in God, alive in Christ, alive in the Spirit, then there's no limitation, friends. There's no limitation as to what you can do and who you can affect around you. You know, Andrew Murray said this, life must be filled with life. John Wesley said, oh Lord, not, let me not live to be useless. <laughs> let me not live to be useless. And Frederick Wood said this, ask the Lord to make your life a glory to him, a menace to the devil, a strength to your church, and a witness to the world. Wow. You know, I, I believe if you're doing those things, if you're bringing glory to his name, if you're being a menace to the devil, if you're being a strength to your church and a witness to that word, then friends, with all assurance, I can say that your life is producing life. Your life is producing life. You know, there's a church in the Bible that had a name. They had a name that they were alive. But friends, the reality was they were dead. The reality was they were dead. Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelations. 
chapter 2 and on into chapter 3. Quite, quite a long reading, but bear with me, please. Revelations chapter 2. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labour and thy patience, and how that thy constant bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. And hast borne and has patience for my name's sake, has laboured and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith. My faith. Even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou, thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath eyes like, like unto a flame of fire, and his feet is like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first, first Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servant to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto you every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest, rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. 
And he that overcometh keep my works unto the end. To him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I have received of my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And on in the, the chapter 3. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest on our dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If, thou therefore, if, if therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white and white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. In the second and third chapter of the book of Revelations, we have the Lord Casting his eye over those seven churches. We come to what he was looking for. The search of God. Those eyes were a flame of fire into the inner spiritual state. And led by the conditions thereof. When all the facts have been surveyed and gathered together. It is to establish one fact and one fact alone. Mainly the presence or absence of life. The presence or absence of life, which from the Lord's standpoint, not from the preacher's standpoint, but from the Lord's standpoint, con constitutes justification in the continuance of anything which claims to represent him. Was it alive? Or was it dead? Was it alive? Or was it dead? Revelations 3, 1 and 2 says, And unto the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. You know, friends, this church in Sardis had a great reputation. They had a great reputation. They had a name and a very, a very honourable one for a flourishing church. A name for vital religion. A name for purity of doctrine. For unity among themselves. Uniformity in worship. Decency and order. We read not of any unhappy divisions amongst themselves. Everything appeared well when looking at it with a natural eye. To the onlooker, this church appeared spiritually alive. It had a reputation of success. And in the world's eyes, it was alive. It was alive. My friends, I'm sure we could compare it to, to the, some of the churches in our day. 
It had the bright lights. It had the spotlights, the smoke machines, all, all the latest gadgets and sound and technology. It had the trendy coffee bar with all the beautiful people. You know the beautiful people. <laughs> Sitting around drinking their chocolate caramel macchiatas. Or, or, or drinking their, their vanilla cinnamon frappuccinos, whatever that is. I don't know what that is. <laughs> with their sunglasses sitting on top of their heads. They were very active in their yoga classes and, and very active in their keep, keep fit classes and, and very active in their, their, their learn to cook classes. Which was going down a bomb, going down a bomb with the community around them. They had a name that spoke life. Friend, you get the picture, don't you? You get the picture. Into that world outside the front doors, it looks like a successful church, a lively church, a church that had a name for being alive. I'm afraid, boy, do we have many churches like that today? Do we not? Come on, let's be honest with ourselves. Let's be honest. Ultramodern. Attractive to the wealthy and to the middle class. They'll not keep you too long, but they do a lovely coffee and donut. <laughs> they do a lovely coffee and donut afterwards. And the preacher, well, he preaches in his ripped jeans and his V t shirt and his 200 pound track shoes. It's brilliant, it makes you feel good. They've, they've got a great name about the place, just like that church in Sardis. But oh, friends, the Lord is so much against them. They were dead. <clears throat> they were dead. Friends, I'm not judging this morning. Please, I'm not judging. This is what the Lord has laid in my heart, so I'll have to bring it to you this morning. They were dead. They had a name to live, but they were dead. They had a form of godliness, but denied them. Yes, Frank denied the power thereof. They had a name to live, but not the principle of life. The heart searcher who saith not as man saith, he pronounces her dead. Sorry. He pronounces her dead. There was no reproducing of life in her, except for just a few. She had lost most of her spiritual vitality. A name to live, but was dead. But was dead. You know, Matthew Henry, I like to go on and look at, see what Matthew Henry says. He's yeah. probably my favourite commentator. Yes. But Matthew Henry says this about this church in Sardis. He says there was a great deadness in their souls and in their services. A great deadness in their ministers. And a great deadness in their ministrations, in their praying, in their preaching, in their converse. And a great deadness in the people in hearing and prayer and in conversation. What little life was left among them was in a manner expiring, ready to die. Wow. Imagine having that said over you. A church dead on its feet, Peter. Dead on its feet. They thought that they were alive. Paul, they thought that they were alive. But the reality was they were dead. They were dead. They were dead in heart. They were dead in mind. They were dead in spirit. They were dead in passion. You know, friends, Jesus didn't come to make bad men good. But he came. But he came to make dead men live. 
Do you hear that this morning? He didn't come to make bad men good, but he came to make dead men live. This church thought that they were alive, but they were dead. They were. How could you be attracted to a church that has no life? What attraction would there be in it? Their worship is dead. Their prayers are dead. The preaching is dead. You, you know, that's probably, that's probably why I was never attracted to church in my younger days. Because it was just dead, formal religion. Is that not right? No passion, no zeal, no heart, no love, no life. You know, I've been to a few of those churches. I've been to a few of those churches. And my goodness, I've just wanted to get up and scream, you're dead. <laughs> You're dead! And then run out the doors before they caught me. <laughs> You're dead! You know, I've seen them sitting there, the men and the women with their big faces. Big, solemn faces. They looked in agony. They couldn't even crack a smile. And you just sat there all tensed up, holding your breath in. You were afraid to look at the letter and kiss somebody's shit. What are you doing looking that way? Dead. Dead. Formal religion, two hymns and a sermon, and then you were away. No room, no room to let the spirit move. Just dead, formal, organized religion. Friends, that's why so many churches are lying empty today. That's why so many are lying empty today. Being turned into bars and nightclubs, and, and some of them are even being demolished. No life beginning life. No life producing life. And I'm sure many of us have been there and experienced it. Just a way to take your card on a Sunday and then hope and pray that you get into heaven whenever he comes or calls. No life. Friends, no life attracting life. You know, Jesus said in John 10 and 10, the thief cometh not but for to kill and steal and to destroy. But I am come that you may have life. That you may have life. And that you may have it more abundantly. Friends, Christ came not only to preserve life, but to impart life. Amen. To impart life. And we as his people must give that life to others. We must give that life to others. But how come we for dead? Come on. How come we are for dead if we're just going through the machinations of religion? It's just become routine, dull and boring. If there's no passion, if there's no zeal, if there's no love, if there's no desire for him, no desire to be filled with the Holy Ghost and power. Friends, how can we bring life to others? You know, the church has sort of had a name. They had a name for being alive. But the reality was they were dead. They were dead. But friends, let me take you to another church. Let me take you to another church that most certainly was alive. And this church was the first church in the New Testament. This church was not made up of the wealthy, the great, the good, the, the, the intellect, or the, or, or the academic, no. But it was made up of fishermen. It was made up of prostitutes. It was made up of, of, of tax collectors. It was made up just of ordinary men and women, just like you and I. 
And even the dregs of society, just like you and I was a dreg of society, believe me. That's what this church was made up of. But they had all one thing in common. They had all a personal, they had all had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. They were alive. Friends, hear me. They were alive in Christ and their lives were never going to be the same again. Neither their lives were never going to be the same again. And when they were all gathered together in church in that upper room, 120 of them, all with one accord. All with one accord. And before I go any further, let me tell you what that, what that all with one accord means. It means that they continued steadfastly, joined together with the same mind and the same spirit. Their minds, their affections, their desires and their longings were focused together. We're focused together in prayer, in prayer with astonishing singularity, agreement, and constancy. And well, imagine being in a prayer meeting like that. And when they were all with one accord in one place, suddenly, friends, suddenly the Holy Ghost there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each and every one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance praise God friends this was a church that was endued with power from on high they were made alive in Christ and that enabled them to be witnesses for Christ to be witnesses for him. And to be a people through whom the Holy Spirit can bring conviction to the lost in releasing the sin, righteousness and God's judgment and turn the lost from sin on the salvation in Christ. They were alive. They were alive. I mean, not long after this, Peter, an unlearned ignorant fisherman, he preached that three thousand souls were added to the church. A lame man, was made to walk again. The blind received their sight. Even the shadow of Peter passing over the sick healed them. Great signs and wonders were being done through this church. They were known as those that turned the world upside down. That's what the Bible says. Are you they that turned the world upside down? That's what they were known as. They were very much alive in Christ. Their lives were producing life in the church and outside the church. You know, it's probably been the most effective church there's ever been. Would you not agree with me? The most effective church there's ever been. A church beginning life. A church reproducing life. They had all things in common. Their needs were being met. Souls were getting saved. The sick were being healed. The Spirit was working among them. They ate their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Praising God. Just the, I believe just the way we praise God this morning. That was beautiful. Praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily. Such as should be saved. Friends, this was a church that was very, very much alive. They had a name that spoke life into the community around them. Acts 2, 47 and says that they had favour with all the people. The common people stood in awe of them. Wow. Look at these people. Look at these. They're alive. Why? Why did they stand in awe? Well, friends, I believe that they were loving to one another. They were very kind. They were cheerful. They were cheerful. 
They had a smile on their face. They were very genius, generous in the use of, of what they had to give. They were alive in the spirit, friends. Alive in the spirit. They were like the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, who were hard, who were strict, who lived by the letter of the law. They live, they live by the letter and not the spirit. And friends, remember, remember, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The spirit gives life. But this community of believers had life. And they showed that life and they spoke that life into the community around them. And by that life in them, the ordinary folk were drawn to them. The ordinary folk were drawn to them. One commentator said, they not only behaved with such true and sincere love towards one another in their church state, but with so much wisdom, courteousness and affability towards them that were without that were without, and what's overcoming the profession that they made? What's overcoming the profession that they made? That they gained the goodwill of the generality of the people around them. Around them. Friends, it was life on the inside, producing life on the outside. Life, and that, that reminds me of that wee chorus. Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Friends, I ask, is there a change in your life? Is there a change in your life? Is your life, is my life, and I'm speaking to myself as well, friends. I'm speaking to me. Is my life producing life? Is he working on the inside and producing life on the outside? You know, we can reduce this right down to the individual this morning. We can reduce this right down to the individual this morning. If, if we go back to that church in Sardis for a minute or two, all hope wasn't lost for that church, you know. All hope wasn't lost for that church. Why do I say that? Well, if you look at verse 4 in Revelation 3, Jesus says to that church, Thou hast a few names. Thou hast a few names, even of Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy, praise God. For they are worthy. Friends, most of the church might have been dead, but there were still a few that were alive. There were still a few that were alive. And those few that were alive gave hope to those that were dead. They gave hope to those that were dead. For you see, life begets life. Life begets life. It doesn't tell you what happened to that church and the end of that church in Sardis. But I would like to think that those who had the life of Christ in them, those who had not defiled their garments, those who had a name in the church, I would like to think that they imparted that life to others. That they imparted that life to others. That they led the way back for revival in that church. That they, that they showed that abundant life that Christ was talking about here. You know, it says it was just a few names. Just a few names in Sardis who had not defined their garments. And you know, friends, all it takes is just a few. Just a few men. Just a few women. To be filled, to be filled with that abundant life. And they could not only turn a church around, but even a town around, a city, even a very nation around. Just a few. And you know, friends, all throughout church history, there's always been a few, or even one, 
or even one who have not defiled their garments and have been filled with that abundant life and done great exploits for God. All down through church history. You look at Noah, you look at Moses, Joshua, Caleb, Ruth. You look at David and some of his mighty men. You look at Nehemiah and Esther. You look at Daniel and the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. You look at many others in that Old Testament. Then if you go right on into the New Testament, you look at John the Baptist and Peter and John and James and Stephen, the first martyr and Timothy and Paul and many others that are too numerous to mention. They were all filled with that life. All filled with that life. And then that life produced life. Jesus on the inside. Working on the outside. But Stephen you may ask. How do I produce that life? How do I live that life? Well friend. In your flesh. In you and in your flesh. And in your natural mind. You, can't, you and I can't do it. We can't do it. Because the flesh profiteth nothing. But the answer is found in Paul's writing to the Galatians. If you turn with me to Galatians chapter 2 verse, verse 20. And he says this. For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I know I live in the flesh, I live by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, as, a, as an old saint we used to know, he used to say this, it's living the life of another. It's living the life of another. And that other is Jesus Christ. It's falling in love with him. It's desiring him above all others. It's longing for his presence. It's wanting to please him. It's, it's living a life of worship and praise and adoration under him. It's a surrendered life. Friends, it's a surrendered life. It's letting him have full control in and through our lives. It's being constantly filled and overflowing with the Holy Ghost. Friends, hear me this morning. If we are to live and move by the life resources of another, then Paul's testimony must be ours. Paul's testimony must be ours. Do you want to know how to live that life? Do you want the fullness of the Spirit? Do you want to be an overcomer? Then friends, here it is. For I am crucified with Christ. Yet not I, but Christ liveth. In me. Friends, if a man is dead and is still alive, then he's living by the life of another. If a man is dead and is still alive, then he's living by the life of another. And this is what God's truth is to be to us. You know, Brother Clendenin put it this way. We died with him at Calvary. We were raised with him in his resurrection. We must see that we are like a branch that has been detached. Now we must be reattached. That is grafted to him the trunk, the trunk of life. In the fall we were broken off, but in the new birth we are attached again to that source of life, Christ. To that source of life. And the entire life source of the new creation is Christ. It's Christ. The cross cuts us off from all, all other. Not only are we united with him in the likeness of his death, but also in his resurrection but also in his resurrection. Friends, we must understand that the Christian life is not a change life. It's not a change life, but it's an exchange life. <laughs> an exchange life. I live, yet not I, but Christ lives within me. We exchange our lives for him, for his life. 
The old man is dead, but the new man, the Christ man, is alive. I am a new creation, no more in condemnation. Here, by the grace of God, I stand. That's why the scripture says, I can do all things. I can do all things through through Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not me that is able to do all things, but it's, but it's Christ through me and living in me that makes me able to do all things. Brothers and sisters, this is not a life that we ourselves can produce. We can't produce it. It's actually living by the life of another, another. And that other is our Lord Jesus Christ. It's letting him have his way. The old man is crucified, but the new man is living. He's dead to the world, dead to the flesh, dead to the law. And yet he's alive to God and Christ. Sin is mortified and grace is quickened. We who have been crucified with Christ now live with him in his resurrection life. Christ and his strength live within us, becoming the source of all of life and the centre of all our thoughts, all our words and all our deeds. And Paul finishes it off by saying, And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by, the faith, by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, it's actually quite simple when you think about it. But my goodness, how we complicated it. Is that not true? <coughs> We've complicated it. We exchange these mortal lives for the abundance life in Christ. And what is that? And friends, we've heard it said so many times before. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's deliverance, it's healing, it's purity, it's holiness, it's victory, it's overcoming. And friends, I could go on. But we have this inside us. But by faith, we need to appropriate it. By faith, we need to live it. You know, we ask for more of him. Yet he's already provided it at Calvary. We ask for victory. Yet the victory is ours. If only we would but claim it. We ask for joy. Yet he's told us that his joy would be our strength. We carry burdens. Yet he said, come on to me. Come on to me, all ye that labor under heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy. And my yoke is light. We, we ask for peace. Yet he says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are holy, whatsoever things are lovely. Think on these things. Think on these things. Friends, are we getting it this morning? This is not a rule book. This is not a rule book. He's not left us to trudge through life. No, friends. But this is the book of life. This is the book of life. Jesus Christ is the life. And by faith, this house this morning should be and could be filled and overflowing with life. With life. Because what happens when there's life? What happens when there's life? There's miracles, healing, salvation, deliverance, restoration, signs and wonders, exceedingly abundantly, more than we can ever ask or ever think. Friends, life begets life. Life begets... Have we got that life? Have, have I got that life? Are we producing that life? You know, friends, as I come to a close... 
Maybe you're sitting here this morning thinking, Stephen, I'm dreamed of that life. Stephen, I'm running empty. I'm dry. Stephen, there's no stirring within me. I'm dead spiritually. Well, friend, let me take you back to Ezekiel 37. The Valley of Dry Bones. The Valley of Dry Bones. Not only it says they were dry, but it says that they were very, very dry. It says that. Very, very dry. They had been exposed to the elements of the earth. The flesh was consumed off them. And the marrow within those bones were quite dry. They were dead as dead can be. They were dead. These bones were dead, believe me. They were dead. It looked impossible for these bones ever to live again. But friends, hear me, there's nothing impossible with God. Amen. There's nothing impossible with God. And God told Ezekiel to prophesy unto these bones and that they will live. And, and you know the rest of the story, don't you? Ezekiel prophesied and there was a noise and there was a shaking and bone came together against bone and, and then there was sinew and then there was flesh and, and then the skin covered the bones and then God, and then God breathed his life. He breathed his life into those bones, into that body. And they stood upon their feet. A great, exceeding army. Brought from death unto life. And friends, hear me, God can do it again. Amen. Please hear me this morning. Don't go out of here feeling hopeless. Please hear me, there's hope. God can do it again. God can do it again. He can do it again. He can breathe his life. Into you, in the eye. He can cause you to live again, friend. He can cause you to live again. But you know, as I said at the beginning, you got to believe it. Mm -hmm. That's where it all hangs. That's where it all comes together. That's what it all hangs on. you got to believe it. And you got to expect it. A surrendered life. Surrendered unto him. Being filled with him. Jesus on the inside. Working on the outside. Life. Beginning life. Are we producing life this morning? Friend. What are we producing? What are we producing for the kingdom of God? How are we producing life? Could, could we stand please?